Hello, and welcome to another episode of You May Not Like This, But. You will see from the title that we are starting a series on the eight New Testament judgments. But first of all, I want to tell you that there is going to be three parts to this broadcast, uh, podcast, and by no means is it completely scripted. It's not strictly scripted, but there are, it is broadly scripted, as you will find out as you progress. Um, basically, there are three parts to this. First of all, I want to provide some general, very general uh, perspective on the on the re- the mission statement, as it were, of this podcast. Uh, the second part is the is something called "Gang Aft Ugly," and it's a, a portion of reading that I have done this morning, which is particularly, and I believe, providentially relevant to what we're going to uh, talk about. And what we are going to talk about is, in fact, the third part of this podcast, and that is the title, um, The Cross Judgment. It is the first of the eight New Testament judgments. But first, the I want to explain a little about the mission statement of this whole thing, this whole podcast. It is, it started from the blog, and it was entitled, the same as it is now, You May Not Like This But. You will find this at youmaynotlikethisbut.blogspot.com and you will read my articles from there, in which I I set out things that are pertinent to what I believe is the most important aspect of, uh, of and that is becoming a Christian. The whole emphasis is about de- demystifying. I was going to say demythologizing, but that's uh, far too controversial a word for me in this remit. So I'm not going to talk about demythologizing. I'm going to talk about demystifying in putting things in earth language. And that carried on, and it has received some success. Its subtitle is Who I Am, What Happened to Me, and Why That Matters to You. And as I say, the the whole emphasis on all the various articles that I've written throughout the years now is the idea of how to become a Christian. This is more important than anything to me, especially in these days. Now then, who am I? Um, for I'm, I'm going to appear to contradict myself, I am a writer. I am a novelist. I write under five, no less than five pen names, 
and I enjoy doing that. I write fiction. It's it light-hearted. It's not meant to be edifying, but the there's little things in it. I have a protocol. First of all, I have a moral protocol, and that is I don't write filth, if I can put it in um, plain language. I don't write filth. I'm not going to do porn. Um, the second protocol that I have is what I call the Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed protocol. And I'm not going to write anything that is religiously blasphemous. And that's across the religions, let alone Christianity in, its, in all its various forms. I'm not going to call Jesus, Buddha, or Mohammed bad things. Am I free to do so? Absolutely. Yes, I am. But I don't want to. I just simply don't want to. I have too much reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christian, and I have great respect for communities that are held together by a character, as Christianity is. In all its forms, you may say, well, it's not very divide, not, not very uh, united. There are loads of denominations. I could get into that with great detail. But I'm not going to because there are Christianities. Um, and, and, I, and I'm not going to, you know, it, it, it's like that. I am not going to get into that. But I am got infinite respect for the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He is my, the, the Lord of my life, and my personal Savior. And I'm not going to blaspheme Him. No, no, I wouldn't in my right mind. And I, would, and I have respect for other religions too. Notably, I point out to you the appalling um, incident some time ago in Paris, where a teacher was beheaded by an Islamic terrorist. It was what what struck me and disarmed me really was the words of the Imam of Paris, who spoke out about this and sympathized with the family and friends of this poor poor person, this poor lady who was beheaded by these terrorists. And do you know what he said? He said that this lady was a victim. Um, no, 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 he didn't say that, sorry. He called her, that's right, a martyr for free speech. And I thought that was a lovely thing to say. So, yes, we are free to do so. But I will tell you this, I don't want to do so. I'm not going to insult Buddha, and I'm not going to insult Mohammed. I am, uh, the, the, there's just not enough time in the day. I've got lots of things to write about, lots of things to podcast about, and, and they're all good things. I don't waste my time on things I don't like, and negativity and misery and so on, and hate. I just plus the fact that I'm a Christian, and I don't 
have the choice I, I, to hate. I, own, I, I am under a remit, under Jesus Christ, to love. And that's the point. And I, and I write, and as, as a writer, I seek to, I seek to tithe my time initially at the keyboard and now at the microphone in order to be able to put something out there of my faith. The faith that was delivered to me once and for all. It is a precious gift and I seek to honour God in it. I prefer to stay anonymous because I don't want you to be affected by knowing who I am. If you do know who I am, I ask you to keep it confidential in order that people broadly will hear these words in and of themselves and they will stand alone apart from me. Which brings us now to, and I hope that I have clarified the, my mission statement in making the blog and this podcast. Now then, that brings me to the second part of the, the, this, particular pod, this particular episode. And that is the fact that I am a devout reader of a publication by the Bible Reading Fellowship entitled Guidelines. I have read faithfully one page a day ever since 2004. And I read that today. And we're in 2021 now. And the editor, or one of the co-editors of Guidelines, uh, there are two. One is the Reverend uh, Helen Painter, and the other is the Reverend David Spriggs. And it's Helen Painter who decided, and it was agreed upon, that in 2021, in the light of the COVID-19 pandemic, that for the, the first fortnight of every issue of the, the all three issues of guidelines for this year, there would be notes on the, on the pandemic and this series in this fortnight in this first two weeks of uh, uh, 2021 is called Letters from um, Lockdown and this morning's was entitled just one second please um, Gang Aft Ugly and I want to read first of all the scripture that she cited for this and then the note on it because it is very relevant to what we are going to discuss in the, sub the, the remitted subject and the entitled subject of this episode. Um, she, if I can move towards it, right. The, the scripture that is cited is from James chapter 4, verse 13. And in case, in case you are wondering 
I'm reading from a translation of the Bible entitled MEV, Modern English Version. Um, the reason I do so is because um, it is a it is a highly um, a highly a grand translation in the in the tradition of the King James Bible. So anyway, so to commence. Um, there are two warnings in this portion of Scripture from James chapter 4, verse 13, to verse 9, uh, sorry, to, to, verse, to verse 6 of chapter 5. The first warning is against boasting. And it says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into this city spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is just a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you are rejoicing in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is a sin. A warning to the against boasting. Now it's followed by an equally solemn and just warning to the rich. Come now, you rich men, weep and howl for the miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure for the last days. Indeed, the wages that you kept back by fraud from the laborers who harvested your fields are crying. And the cries of those who harvested have entered into the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wayward. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the righteous man who does not resist you. Very, very poignant words. And Reverend Painter's words are, uh, meditation is this. Gang aft ugly. Today's title is taken from one of the most famous lines of the Scottish poet Robbie Burns. 
in a fuller form, it is often misquoted as the best laid plans of mice and men go oft awry. And yet, in its functional terms, many of us have forgotten this. We have begun to imagine that we can order our own existence. We insulate ourselves from the climate in which we live, through air conditioning and central heating, even in our cars. We are not at the mercy of agricultural cycles, because we stockpile food in our cupboards and our freezers. We protect our health through screening and good medical treatments. And as a result, we may have come to believe that we are impermeable. We expect that life will turn out well, and when it does not, we protest loudly and cast about for who we can blame, hence, perhaps, the rise in medical negligence lawsuits. Of course, for many, worldwide and in the UK, the poor, the chronically ill, those who live without political stability, this is far outside their experience or expectation. For them, the words of James ring true. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Chapter 4, verse 14. But for perhaps the majority of Christians living in the West and global North in the last few decades, this verse has been more theoretical than matching our lived experience. And then, COVID-19 happened, and suddenly our plans were disrupted. Our holidays were cancelled. Working conditions altered. We incurred monetary loss or faced financial uncertainty. We experienced sickness or knew we might. We faced the possibility of our own premature death. We lost those we love. We are not masters of our own fate. Our plans gang aft aglai. Though none of us would have chosen this crisis, it does present us with an opportunity to reevaluate the way we live and the way we think. As we emerge from it, we need to keep hold of the things that we have learned in these days. The philosopher 
Judith Butler urges us to appreciate the precariousness of life. That condition of vulnerability that should lead us into interdependency in community. The Apostle James got there first, though. As we struggle to reset our lives, he warns us to do so with attention to those whose lives are even more precarious than our own. Very, very poignant words and apt words for our time and very appropriate to what we're considering. We cannot think of the New Testament judgments, one of them, any number of all eight of them, or all of them, without bringing into this consideration of what has happened in 2020, the year when the world completely changed. And it's been described, and I agree with this, as the year that took years, the longest year. And as we sit here in the first week of 2021, we know that we are in a long 2020. It is by no means over. And we look for a full and more particular introduction to the eight New Testament judgments. Um, I'm going to reserve that to the next episode, uh, where it'll be, as I say, introduced more objectively, and particularly for this series. The the ver the the portion of scripture that I'm citing here comes from the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, and it's verses 4b to 11. I think I might read to the end of the section in verse to verse 15. We'll see how it goes. And the Lord Jesus, in what has been termed the farewell discourses, is talking here, teaching his disciples only a short time before his arrest, and he is still teaching them, and that speaks volumes to me, but this portion he is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. I have told you these things so that when the time comes, you may remember them that I told you about them. I did not tell you these things at the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, 
where are you going? Rather, sorrow has filled your heart, because I have told you these things. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe me, of righteousness because I am going to my Father, and you will see me no more, and of judgment, because the ruler of this world stands condemned. I think I will leave it there. There's far more to it than this, but trust me, as you can appreciate, and as you can appreciate, it's enough. This is the first of the eight New Testament judgments, and it is the judgment of the cross. It is good news to look at it in reverse order, that the first judgment here, that the first focus of judgment here, is the devil himself. It is good to know that the devil stands condemned by the cross. The cross is the, is the judgment seat of Christ. This comes to us, and the devil is condemned. We see this poignantly. But you see, He will also convict of righteousness, going, and I'm going backwards here for a time, because of the ascension. You see, righteousness is at home in heaven, and the Lord Jesus will go back to heaven, so that when the Spirit comes, He will save people. People will get saved. Preaching will go out, the gospel will be sounded out, and people will hear and find out how to get saved. And when they do, in that moment, righteousness, that is, right standing with God, comes to them. Right there and then. It comes directly from heaven, and it makes itself at home in the, on the life and in the heart of the believer. This is big stuff. And then, but initially, initially, he will judge the world because of something 
that and I've gone back to the beginning, actually. The second part of it is the judgment of sin. Oh, yeah, the first part of it, sorry, is because of sin. He will judge sin. And here we, I'm going to go through these in this or in the right in the right order now. For the, it is sin, because sin affects everybody. We don't like to talk about sin. The majority of Christianity doesn't like to talk about sin. False teaching never mentions it. It mentions, and a form of Christi it's a form of Christianity that is, that is not a lot far from non-religious positive thinking. Yes, they say, nobody's perfect because nobody knows what perfect is, looks like in the first place. So we know we're not perfect. We know we've, we've got faults, and these faults we can deal with. But they never mention sin. Sin, there are two definitions of sin that I like in two different uh, catechisms. The one is the shorter catechism, the shorter Westminster catechism, and it says this, it's any lack of perfect conformity to the, oh, sorry, any lack of conformity to the perfect law of God. There you are, there you have the, the law, the, the Old Testament law. And it says, it's a line. It's the perfect line. It's the li If you get to this line, and if you keep this line constantly, every moment of every day, in thought, word, and deed, you are perfect. You, are, you have achieved right standing with God. Well done! Except for one thing, one very important thing. We just don't do that. I... My thoughts are far from it. My thoughts are sometimes because of the business of the day or whatever, or just the mood I'm in. Let's be honest. I'm not uh, uh, far from, I'm not even on the subject of faith and godliness. You just don't, I mean, it just happens. But we have a general, believers have a general disposition, but any lack of that is sin. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to convict us of that sin. Now, God is not condemning us when he does that. It is called by some the offense of the gospel. And many people, men, and Christianity at large, liberal and superficial, wants to do away with that. But right I are, and, and for fear of offending people. But I ask this, is it, an is it offending people to call them sinners when it's the gospel that does so, the gospel that is good news for sinners, it's the good news that saves sinners, how on earth is it an offence to say and, and, and derogatory to call a man a sinner? It's not. It is the mercy of God, and it's the work 
of the Holy Spirit to do so, to convince us of that, to convict us of it, to convince us of it, to persuade us of it, as we hear the Word of God expounded. Righteousness is that which comes with. But look at this. There is judgment for the devil. Judgment for the devil, righteousness for the believer, right standing with God for the believer, and the devil is cast out. This is the judgment of the cross. Were you thinking that the sub, the title of this series, the um, the eight New Testament judgments, was one of condemnation? Absolutely not. The, the mission statement of this podcast and the blog, the written blog, remains the same. It's to show you the way of salvation, to show you how to get saved, to show you that you need to get saved, to show you that being saved is a once-and-for-all thing. We are judged in order to be saved. You are connected to God right now, and I'll prove it to you. You're alive. If you're listening to this, it's because you are alive. You have hearing, you're alive, and you're connected to God. You are plugged in to the life that God has given us. It says that if you want scripture for it, it's Second Timothy, First uh, Timothy, sorry, chapter six. Now then, what will we do with these things? We stand as sinners. We stand as sinners in need of a saviour. But that saviour is not happy. No, no, is not happy being a saviour that has been provided for sinners, and that's it. No, that saviour will be happy when he's your saviour. He's not just a, to me, he's not just a saviour, he is my saviour. I have to confess my sin before him. He has persuaded me, I have studied scripture, I have heard from men of God and good reading that I need to be saved. And as I have accepted that I'm, I'm in need to be saved, then I have sought the way to be saved. And I thank God for those dear ones who in, their, in the past have shown me how to get saved. I have heard many people preach, Oh, you must be saved. Oh, it's a dire necessity. And they're right. And others will preach how terrible it is not to be saved. And they're right. And there's others who will preach how wonderful it is to be saved. And they're right. But right, what good? My, my contention is this. What good is knowing that I must be saved? What good is knowing 
how terrible it is not to be saved. And what good is it knowing how wonderful it is to be saved if I don't know how to be saved in the first place? So you see, that's the way it is. We need, we, 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 we should be persuaded that we are sinners in need of a saviour. We should be persuaded that when we get saved, we are made righteous and given that right standing with God from heaven. And we may need to know that when we get saved, the sin is condemned, sin stands condemned, and the devil stands condemned and cast out of our lives. Isn't that wonderful? Now then, how do you get saved? Remember those three things? Sin, righteousness, and the casting out of Satan. And they're all relevant to this. One, we must confess that we are sinners. Having been persuaded by the help of good preaching, good podcasting, I hope, and good reading of Scripture and good Christian books, that we are in need, we are saved, we are sinners. We are need to be, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. Then, righteousness, right standing with God. I call upon God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I seek righteousness. I seek to be in right standing with God, and I seek that, and I call upon Jesus. Lord, I know you are the Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. The Bible says all these things. But how can I be saved unless I know that you are not just the Son of God, not just the Savior of the world. How can I know, how can I be saved unless I know that you are my Savior too? Or come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I make room for you right now. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I need you now and believe that I receive according to your holy word that you will convince me of righteousness. You, you convinced me that I was a sinner and I came to you. And now I believe that you will convince me of righteousness, that you will persuade me as you persuaded me that I was a sinner. So now I will be, I am persuaded that I am righteous before you. That you, and I don't feel righteous. I don't know what righteous feels like. Lord, please. But I know this. It is written. As one dear believer once said years ago, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And that's what we all should be. We should believe it. And we, that should settle it. We should never argue. 
And how can we be so... What gives us the freedom? Oh, because the persuading power of the Holy Spirit is not over, not even after I've become persuaded that I was a sinner, and not after I'm even persuaded of righteousness. I've got that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. But that's not all. The, he goes on to persuade us that the devil is cast out of our lives. The devil, it says in Scripture, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. But I have come now to the place where I have read the Bible. I have heard the Bible being read. I have read good Christian literature. I have g l listened to good preaching. I have listened to good podcasts, hopefully. And I, I am persuaded that now the devil is cast out. Oh, the devil is cast out of my life. The sin, I have been made free. I was, I was blind, but now my eyes are open. I was blind. Does that remind you of a man? Of a certain hymn? It's been described as God's greatest hit, and it's amazing grace. And it was written by a man who was a monster of a man. A man by the name of John Newton. It was said he, he was one man who never needed the devil to sin. He was evil, right? He was, oh, there was nothing good. And yet in a storm at sea, he remembered the words of others who had preached to him, both preachers and family members, and he called upon God. And in that moment, he changed all that preaching, all that persuading power of the Holy Spirit, which was laid in, which was latent in his head and in his heart, came to the surface on that fateful storm at sea. You don't need a storm at sea, do you? You don't need... Wait a minute. We have had a storm at sea, haven't we? We have. We're in the whole world has been turned upside down by a virus that has claimed far too many lives by the mistakes of others, yes, by leadership, by all the lack of it, by ineptitude, all kinds of things, yes, but right by the uncertainty of life. It has shown us the uncertainty of life. And we should turn to God. We should own that, um, that uncertainty and come before God and seek before God who changes not the only certain. The, one of my favorite characters from history is, is St. Patrick. And he had what is called, the, he, he had a prayer called the breastplate, his breastplate. And I love this. Every day he would pray it in various forms and various parts of it, but I'll give you the nucleus of it now. And it is this. I, I bind unto myself today the name, the strong name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, three in one and one in three. And 
bound himself to God, spirit, soul, and body, to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, every day. And that was his assurance to know and believe in accordance with the Word of God that God belonged to him and he belonged to God. And the devil was cast out where he belonged. The devil is not invited into your life anymore. Well, that's all I feel I want to say at this moment. May the Lord forgive me if I have not said enough, if I have said anything amiss. I want to thank you for, if you are still listening, I want to thank you for making it this far and for hearing what I have to say on these subjects. More introductions will follow and with an idea of what is to come in this series and maybe announcements of other series to come after this. Anyway, for now, thank you for listening. God bless you. And I hope to hear, I hope that we can meet again. God bless you. And thank you for listening.